This message by Bob Coughlin is made available to you through Sovereign Grace Ministries and is the first part of an evening entitled Praising God with the Psalmist. It was recorded during the fifth general session at our Worship God 2008 conference. In this first section, Bob combines teaching, singing, and prayer to explore what the Psalms tell us about physical expressiveness, using our minds in worship, and dealing with our trials. Bob serves as Director of Worship Development for Sovereign Grace Ministries and is a pastor and worship leader at Covenant Life Church in Gaithersburg, Maryland. We are doing things a little differently tonight. Let me, let me uh, describe what we're going to do tonight. Um, the burden for this evening actually came from a conversation I had with Jeff Perswell, my, my smart theological friend, uh, man I deeply respect and love. He asked if there was any place in the conference that specifically addressed how we as worship leaders, pastors, uh, musicians could apply in a meeting what the Psalms tell us about worshiping God. Now it's how does this all work? Apart from just singing Psalms, singing songs that are based on the Psalms, what should we be doing in our meetings to better reflect what we read in the Psalms? So tonight is just going to be one big workshop. And I trust uh, also that as we learn and, and uh, discover ways we can apply the Psalms in our meetings, I, I also believe that God is going to minister to many of us tonight um, for his glory. As we prayed and prepared for the conference, one of the, one of the things that I was anticipating was that you would not only be equipped, but that you would encounter the living God as, as you're here. And I know that's already happened. And I pray, it is my prayer that tonight there will just be more of that as we lift up our voices uh, to worship our Savior. Let's pray. Father, how grateful we are for your kindness to us this, these days. Um, we, we, we give gifts, but they are, they are a mere breath. They are just the, uh, f- the smallest, smallest representation of how kind you have been to us. And Lord, should we never receive anything, uh, we would still have reason to praise you for all eternity because we have received forgiveness. We have received reconciliation. We have been adopted into your family and are now under your care. I ask tonight that by your spirit, you would open our eyes. You would soften our hearts. That we would would, would put away techniques and methods and, and equipping and simply enjoy your presence among us by your spirit. That you would through your word, through your finished work on the cross, Jesus, that you would draw us closer to yourself, that you would encourage, that you would convict, that you would help us to love you more. We we are grateful that you are with us. We, We thank you that we don't have to work anything up, that you are with us because you promised you would be. So have your way. In our hearts, in Jesus' name, amen. 
The Psalms, while being the word from God, also help us express our words to God. Say, with breathtaking combination of variety, skill, passion, depth, poeticism, and honesty, the Psalms give us a comprehensive picture of what our relationship with God, both individually and corporately, should look like. And I trust that in in the midst of this conference, every one of us is gaining a deeper conviction about getting to know the unsearchable greatness of God in the Psalms. There are many areas that we could look at tonight, and I've chosen four. Four concerns that the psalmist had that we should have as well. Now, what, what the format of tonight is, they're going to be short um, exhortations or sharings uh, interspersed with singing, prayer, and it's, it's going to be a different kind of meeting. Uh, you're going to be taught, we're going to sing, we're going to pray for one another different times. Um, but in the process, I, I want us to see that, hey, maybe we could do this at our church. Maybe we could do something like this, um, just to stir our thoughts for how we might apply the Psalms in the course of what we do as we meet together. So I'm not going to try to cover much of what we've already heard addressed here, although there will be some overlap. The purpose of tonight is, is largely practical and largely, I hope, to encourage us. The question is, how do we become churches congregations that more accurately, naturally, and consistently model the kind of relationships that the psalmists had with God. We're about change. We're about leaving this conference different from when we came, by God's grace. So the first area I want to talk about is the area of what we do with our bodies when we praise God together corporately. The psalmist seemed to have a concern about what we do with our bodies. They engaged in physical expression. Now, it wasn't just any kind of physical expression. It wasn't emotionalism. It was driven by a clear view of the greatness and goodness of God, as Craig so wonderfully expounded for us the first night. As creator, redeemer, deliverer, sustainer, provider, shepherd, refuge, shelter, and more. It's a response to a clear and compelling picture of God's deeds and character. In other words, in the Psalms, there's no place for disinterested, half-hearted praises, is it? You don't see it. You don't see whatever in the Psalms. Or it's all good. There's none of that. There is engagement. There's clapping hands in Psalm 47. There's dancing feet in Psalm 149 and 150. There's bowing knees in Psalm 5. There's raised arms in Psalm 28 and 134. There's shouting and singing voices everywhere. Now, these expressions don't have to all be evidenced every time we gather. And I understand that I'm speaking to many, many different kinds of churches. And that for, for some of us, you know, doing this is like major. That's excitement to the max. And so I understand this. I, I'm, not, I'm not seeking to, to encourage any kind of 
blind uniformity or conformity. I want us to wrestle with what the Psalms tell us about what we should do with our bodies when we praise God. So they don't all have to be evidenced every time we gather, but neither should we insist that these expressions were merely cultural and can be completely ignored today or just fulfilled spiritually. I'm shouting in my heart. (laughs) Natural bodily responses can honor God when they're done from the heart as an expression of gratefulness for God's steadfast love and mercy. And they should be the overflow of the worship that we give to God in our daily lives. The crucial question is this. Is there any expression, physical expression of worship, that God has commended or modeled in the Psalms that I've never displayed? And if so, why? Why would there never be a time when what we see given to us in the Psalms would be something that I personally would express. Physical expression is meant to be an expression of heart engagement. Psalm 108, 1 and 2. My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody with all my being. Awake, O harp and lyre, I will awake the dawn. So it's rooted in the heart. Now we learn elsewhere in Scripture that physical expression alone doesn't assure devotion to God. God told Israel once, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Isaiah 1.15 So physical expressiveness alone is no sure sign that biblical worship is taking place. And for some of us, we need to hear that word. We think that because we are in a congregation where people naturally lift their hands, where they're jumping, where they're crying, that everybody is engaged with God. And I would say we don't know that. We don't know that. Well, we'll never know it for sure. But what we can do to ensure that those expressions are rooted in the heart is by communicating and singing the truths of God and directing people's attention to the glory of Jesus Christ. But but the reality is, people have been engaged in exuberant corporate worship while living in adultery. Some Christians exhibit little physical expression on Sundays, but have a profound love for the Savior, an exemplary life, and a thorough knowledge of Scripture. So physical expression isn't everything. A genuine response to God can't be measured alone by raised hands, dancing feet, and loud shouts. I want to build all these bridges to to break through the natural defenses that some of us throw up automatically when this topic comes up. The fact that natural physical expressiveness can be insincere doesn't change the fact that the Psalms model, encourage, and command physical responses for God's glory. And here's the purpose. It's to demonstrate the value of the one we worship. It is natural to respond to those things that we esteem most highly. 
in my relationship with my precious wife, I find ways to communicate my love to her. It's not simply a matter of saying, I love you. Or take, take your the children. We don't simply say, I love you. That's a good thing to say. But we show them. We show them. How do we show them? Well, we might get down on the floor and get on their level so they can, they can see that we're not just towering giants. There's something we do to communicate our love for them. Well, when we are focusing on the glory of our Redeemer, the greatness of our God, what do you do with your body to demonstrate His greatness? When someone looks at me as I, as I am focusing on, on giving praise to God, what, what do my gestures, my, my body language, my voice, my countenance, what do they say about the greatness of the Savior I'm worshiping? That's the question. God made us with physical bodies, and they are meant for His glory. It's not an issue of our temperament, although that can certainly affect things, or even our circumstances. Even in our darkest times, physical expression can be natural and biblical. Raised hands crying out to God for mercy. Bowed knees, bowing in submission to His sovereign plan. And often, engaging in some physical action engages our hearts. It reminds us of God's sovereignty. It reminds us of His power, His authority, and His worthiness. And certainly there's a place for being sensitive to those around us. When I go to a a church that is, is not as physically expressive as the church I'm a part of here, Covenant Life Church... I don't think, well, I'm just, I'm just going to show these people what it's like to really worship Jesus. And I don't have that attitude because chances are there are many people there who worship Jesus much more sincerely than I do. But what I do want to say is in this context, in this, in these surroundings, how can I, how can I communicate to these folks there's nothing more valuable to me than being known and loved by Jesus Christ. How can I communicate that? That's the question I'm asking. So, we want to take some time to give God glory through our songs and through our bodies. We're just going to take a couple songs to do this. But this is, this is you've heard what I've said thus far, I I want to give you um, encouragement and freedom to answer that question with the way we sing these songs. We're going to sing two songs, Praise the Lord, with the line, Praise the Lord with all you are, mind and soul and will and heart. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. That's where we're going to start. And I need the band to join me. If we have the band. Oh, they're there. Okay, great. Um, and so we're going to stand. She's very systematically. That's the only direction I'm giving you physically. And actually, if you can't stand, feel free to sit down. Um, because I, 
I, I want to emphasize that, that God sees our hearts. He sees our hearts. And he's most concerned about what's coming from our hearts. But other people see our bodies. And we, we can use our bodies to bring glory to the Savior. So if... <laughs> how do I say this? I, I just want to encourage you to stretch out. Um, just to be mindful of one thing. How amazing it is that the Almighty God has chosen you as his son or daughter and redeemed you through the precious blood of his son. And how, how we should respond to that. Now, we've been set up for this. Okay, We don't normally get this on a Sunday. And I don't expect you all to do this next Sunday in your church. Okay, everybody sit down. I got something to tell you. But I can, but I can encourage you in this. It is something I think that needs to be taught. Uh, because we are bound at times by the fear of man, by what people think of us. We are bound by misconceptions. Uh, we are bound by lies. Different, different things that keep us from naturally expressing the greatness and goodness of God through our bodies. And that's what we want to help our people. It's one of the things, one of the psalmist concerns that we're looking at tonight. So I want to give us the opportunity to enjoy that ourselves. So what I was going to say was, you know, think of something in the Psalms you've never done. Raised hands, bowed knees, shouting, um, you know, lifted hands. uh, Just something that... Okay, Lord, you are worthy of this. Dancing, that was the other one. And, you know, when we say dancing, it's really like the broadest, you know, meaning possible. Um, And as I get older, that meaning gets broader. Um, But it's it's just, you know, dancing. The the Hebraic culture was a dancing culture. They had no no problems with with dancing as an expression of joy. Um, it's saying to me that simply, God, you, you are worthy of everything, everything I am. So it, it, it may look like jumping. It may look like just a little you know, two-step. I don't know what it may look like. We're really not concerned. I want, we're really not concerned. What we're concerned is who we're thinking of as we sing these songs. Don't feel constrained to your like little chair. If you want to move out to the aisle, that's fine. If you guys want to come down from the bleachers. It's not going to last long, so no one needs to feel like, oh man, is this the whole night? No. This is just one opportunity, one opportunity for us to press forward in how we seek to live like the psalmist.
Now, I, I just want to submit, I don't know of any hymns that are written like that. And there is a time and a season, there is a place for, for that kind of joyous, unhindered celebration. Now, we know from the teaching we've received and just from a casual reading of the Psalms that life cannot be lived at that level. For most of us. <laughs> guess that kind of stops in about 18, 19... Okay, 25, 26, 50, 51. He is worthy. And I, I just, I know some of you are staunch Presbyterians and Southern Baptists and, uh, we, <laughs> and I, I appreciate your, your entering in to, uh, what we're seeking to do here, which is to explore how God receives our worship and how he desires to receive our worship. The next area of concern that I want to look at, the psalmist concerned about what we do with our minds. And you can sit down just for a moment. We're not, this is not going to be real long, but it's probably good that we sit down for a moment. You, it should be so obvious to us, shouldn't it? that when we read the Psalms, that there is no fluff. There just isn't any. There is no filler. Li- there are no filler lines. You don't see, As- you don't imagine Asaph going, let's see, um, what's something that rhymes with head? Um <laughs> you'll raise me from the dead. Okay, that's good, yeah. It's, it's intentional, it's purposeful, it engages our minds. And when we understand something of the, the skill that went into, into the Psalms, you know how some of them were acrostics and each line beginning with a successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet and how you have just various poetic devices that were obviously intentional. You, you begin to see more clearly, oh, our minds are meant to be engaged as we worship God. We don't simply go through the motions. That's never been God's intention. And it's significant that the type of poetry that the Psalms use are, are parallelism. I'm so grateful that, that the Psalms aren't just, weren't written to rhyme. You know, where words rhyme, because that would make it much more difficult to translate them. How they're written is that the thoughts are parallel. The thoughts, you, you, one thought is stated, then a similar thought is stated that's slightly different. You know, we have the selahs in the psalm, which we're not entirely sure what that signifies, but whenever I read about the selahs, most of the time it's it seems to, uh, scholars seem to think it indicates a you know, musical interlude, some kind of interlude, perhaps for reflection, where again the emphasis, on, emphasis is on, are you thinking about what you're singing? Are you engaging with the truths that you're saying? I, I, is this reality to you? Or is your mouth just moving and your mind is out of gear? 
God wants our minds involved. And as musicians, and most of us are musicians, we are prone to be more engaged with a harmonic progression or groove than the truth. And that's actually true of non-musicians as well because music is an emotional language. It speaks to our emotions. That's why if you're an instrumentalist, I want to encourage you to sing as often as you can while you're playing your instrument. Now, obviously, if you're playing the sax, that's harder. (laughs) But it, it makes a huge difference when someone comes in to your meeting and sees your team, your musicians... And, you know, all, all they seem to be engaging with is the music. You know, they've got a part to play, they play it, then they're just kind of waiting. Got a part to play, they play it. You know, and in some ways that, that can bring glory to God because they are serving the church. But I'm, I'm persuaded that when we worship God corporately, God intends our minds to be drawn to Him. His greatness, His goodness, His word, His works, His nature, His character, His deeds. So we have, to, we have to fight that. And one of the ways to fight it is when you're back there playing your bass or your drums or your guitar or synthesizer or whatever, or even as a solo instrumentalist, when you're not actually playing, sing. Sing. Engage with those words. Let the truth of what you're singing affect your heart, and that will affect your playing. And again, we're drawing this from the Psalms. These are... The, these are th- principles in the Psalms that we can apply, and that's one of the ways we can apply them, by singing as often as we can. So we, we do that on our teams, we, as, especially for younger musicians. If, if they're playing, they might be great, you know, a great guitar player. I'll go up to them and say, you know, you, you're a fine guitarist. Um, just can I can make a suggestion? When you're, when you're standing in front of people, you want to, to let people know that what most moves you is the God you're singing to, is the God you're playing for. And one of the ways you can communicate that is by singing more. And you're like, well, I can't really sing. Well, why don't you practice? Why don't you go home and practice playing and singing at the same time? And again, it's not the entire time, just sometime. Just just engage your mind. So what can we do to encourage people to engage with the songs they're singing? Well, we can, we can do a lot. First, we need to be engaged ourselves. That's the most important thing. Leading worship, whether you're a, a leader, a pastor, or a musician, is not simply a matter of, of knowing the right techniques or the right words to say at a certain time. It is a matter of being personally engaged with the words you're singing and then tr- seeking to impress upon people that this is important. This is what you need to be thinking about. This is what's significant right now. These truths, this, what we're singing. So we're going to do a little exercise using Psalm 100. And you probably won't do this in your church, but I want to illustrate how we can, uh, if you will, prime the pump. We're going to start a chord progression. And uh, Psalm 100 is divided into four, four sections. I'm going to sing the first section, which I believe goes like this. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Those are the lines. 
Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Now, just those lines, just using those lines, what kind of thoughts come to mind? What kind of responses come to mind? How can we process and meditate on those lines to to make them more effective in our hearts? Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Lord, I'm I'm so glad that you chose me so I could make a joyful noise to you. All the earth. Lord, you rule over everything. Serve the Lord with gladness. Lord, I love to serve you. It is a joy to serve you. Thank you for giving me a heart that loves to serve you. Come into his presence with singing. Father, thank you for giving your son so that I can come into your presence. Thank you that it's through his blood I come into your presence with singing, not with fear, not with trembling, not with cowering, but with singing songs of joy. I'm meditating on these two verses. Now, what we typically do or what we often do, what worship leaders often do is this. Come into his presence with singing. Glory, glory, hallelujah, Lord. Amen, Lord. Lest we come into your presence with singing, Lord. Amen, hallelujah. It's just worshipese. It's just filler. It's just stuff. The other stuff I was doing helps me understand what I'm singing. So, Since the Spirit is the one who inspires our songs, Ephesians 5 says when we're filled with the Spirit, we will sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to one another. I trust that the Spirit is at work when we sing spontaneously to Him, seeking to meditate on God's Word. Doesn't that make sense? Now, you may think you don't have a good voice, or, man, I've never sung anything that's not written on a page, and how could it? Trust me, just just sing. What you would normally say, just sing it. We're going to do an easy chord progression. It's not like we're, you know, using really odd chords. So you'll be able to sing over it. Let, let the profound reality of Psalm 100 affect your mind so that your heart might be affected. We want to engage our minds when we sing. Now we're going to do this with Psalm 100, then we'll sing The Lord Is. And the thing is, this is to prepare us to do this for, for regular songs that we sing. To be thinking between the lines. It's not just the words that are written. It's what we think between the lines. You know, so often we sing a song, it's done, and we think, okay, the worship's over. Oh, no, it's not. If you're breathing, it should continue. Everything that has breath, praise the Lord. So it doesn't have to end. Your thoughts don't have to end as soon as the song stops. We can continue to sing. So let's stand again and let's try this out. So again, I'm going to sing these two verses. Kind of to get us going. And then after that, just each one of us sing a new song to the Lord based on the verses which will be projected in front of us. And just the thoughts that come to mind as we remember, this is true. This is what we base our lives on. This is reality. This is, these are the most important things that I could be thinking about. And so you're singing to the Lord, meditating on His Word, allowing your mind and your heart to be affected by His truth. 
Make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Let's sing. Psalmists were concerned with what we do with our trials. We have various responses to our trials. Sometimes we deny them. Sometimes we ignore them. Sometimes we exaggerate them. Many times we process, try to process them apart from God. Every time we lead, we have an opportunity to help people connect their trials with who God is, what he said, and what he's done. And I'd like Ryan Ferguson to come and recite Psalm 25 for us to remind us of, as we've been reminded throughout this conference, of the kinds of things we can say to God, kinds of emotions we can express before God, 
guided and informed by his steadfast love. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not mine enemies exalt over me. Indeed, none who wait on the Lord shall be put to shame. They are ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me for you are the God of my salvation. On you I wait all the day long. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Good And upright is the Lord. Therefore he instructs sinners in his way. He teaches the humble what is right. And leads the humble in his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness to those who keep his testimonies and his covenant. For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is with those who fear Him, and He makes known to them His covenant. My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for He will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my afflictions and my troubles. And forgive all my sins. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. Guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me for I wait on you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. 
We've come a long way from happy day. This is the way life is. As David shared with us so powerfully this morning. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. And then later, may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. There are some of us, maybe many of us, who are waiting for the Lord. Waiting for something. Waiting for something to change. Waiting for something to come. Waiting for something to happen. And you carry that burden. And at times it's more overwhelming than other times. Some of you are probably carrying very significant burdens. Cancer, death, a loved one, a trial that just seems to go on and on and on. God knows. He sees. He cares. Our part is to wait for the Lord. To look towards His steadfast love, His mercy, His ways, and trust Him. how many of us would be in that place as I described those who are waiting for something to change something to move, something to happen and it's weighed upon you if that's you, would you just raise your hand okay, that's a lot of us okay, great what I want to do right now actually, why don't you take your seats I could just say what I'm about to say, but I'm going to sing it. I could say, I think the Lord wants to remind you of something. I'm going to sing it to you. And in our circles, we'd call this a spontaneous song, spontaneous song or prophetic song. It's just meant to communicate God's heart for you in your situation and if you didn't raise your hand you don't want to be sitting there thinking well why aren't I getting a song well it's because you're doing fine God cares for every one of us individually and Every experience we encounter of his love and personal care is simply an overflow of the ultimate love that he expressed at the cross of Calvary.
There is no greater love. But he knows what you're waiting for. So this will be as though the Lord were speaking. I trust that you'll hear his heart in this song. You ask how long can I go on like this? It's been so long since I have felt your presence. Once I thought I knew you, you say, you thought you knew me well. But in this season, your love About my wisdom, about my grace, about my timing, about my ways. I will lead you in my ways. As you trust me, I'll show you the way. I will sustain you by my grace for all the days you wait. I am working in you to form my son, to make you more like him. Have patience. things to happen, to change, you know exactly what we need. You know exactly what things need to fall into place. And all the time you're working on our hearts, 
so that we might be even more assured that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that having you, we have everything. So pray especially for those who acknowledge they're in this season of waiting. We pray that you would encourage them by your spirit even tonight, by your word, by your people. You've been listening to a message by Bob Coughlin, which was given at our Worship God 2008 conference and has been made available to you through Sovereign Grace Ministries. Sovereign Grace is primarily devoted to planting and caring for churches. We also hold conferences, train leaders, and publish books, music, and audio and video messages. For more information, visit www.sovereigngraceministries.org or call us at 301-330-7400.